Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is The Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy in Los Angeles. It's good to be with you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're doing all right. I have a new flashback episode for you today, an outtake from episode 24 my conversation with Charles Shields, Kurt Vonnegut's biographer, Harper Lee's biographer. In this particular episode, I was talking to Charles Shields about his biography entitled, And So It Goes, Kurt Vonnegut, A Life. It was published all the way back in 2011 in hardcover by Henry Holt. This episode first aired on December 7th, 2011, episode 24. It's a long time ago. So my conversation or a bit of my conversation with Charles Shields is coming up momentarily. Before we get going, a quick reminder about my email newsletter. I do a weekly email newsletter. It is free. You can sign up over at otherppl.com or bradlisty.com. I basically let you know about the latest episodes of the show each week, and I share links to things that I've been reading and finding interesting. So if you would like to receive an email from me once a week, go sign up at otherppl.com or bradlisty.com. Likewise, I would love it if you would join the Other People Patreon community, help keep this show going into the future. You can do that at patreon.com slash other ppl pod all right so today's flashback a bit of my conversation from episode 24 with charles shields author of the biography and so it goes kurt vonnegut a life charles shields is also the author of a biography of harper lee entitled mockingbird and another book called I Am Scout, the biography of Harper Lee. That is published by Henry Holt Books for Young Readers. Charles Shields grew up in the Midwest and was a teacher. 
in central Illinois for several years. He worked over the course of his career as a reporter for public radio, a journalist, and as an author of nonfiction books for young people. So Vonnegut is a hero of mine. I spent part of my childhood in Indiana, and Vonnegut is, of course, from Indiana. So I always have felt a kind of connection to him in that sense, and I was very excited, I remember, to speak with Charles Shields about Vonnegut and to try to get some insight into his life and work. I should add, too, that episode 24 is available in its entirety. So if you like what you hear in this outtake and you would like to listen to the full conversation with Charles Shields, just go find episode 24. It's there. All episodes of this show are available to listeners. So I think that does it. Let's get to today's flashback from episode 24. Again, it first aired on December 7th, 2011. Here I am in conversation with Charles Shields. And the reason that I like biography is that it draws on a lot of things that I'm interested in. It draws on, um, of course, books and um, the creative effort on the part of authors. I'm interested in why people are the way they are. So in the course of researching them as writers, I also find out about what sort of influences led them to become writers. Uh, I always make sure to include a lot about uh, their ideas, and um, I I don't pass over the books lightly. Uh, So that's really the story of of how I became a biographer. And, And how I got to Vonnegut was I was in college in the late 60s, the Vietnam War was going on. I was of draftable age. In fact, I was in the first draft lottery. And um, a lot of us were reading Vonnegut because it, to us, he seemed to be talking and telling us in, in the phrase at the times the way it was, you know, how it is. Uh, he has a very intimate voice on the page. And um, he was telling us that uh, life isn't what you think it is. Um, just because somebody's older doesn't mean that they're wise. Uh, hypocrisy and paradox are on either hand. Uh, stay work, stay stay awake, stay alert, and um, he was embraced by my generation and also in succeeding generations because his appeal isn't time centered. What I mean is, you know, his books don't become dated easily. He's talking about the big questions that young adults are asking themselves about why are we here and what's the meaning of life, what should I be doing. So, you know, when you are on the cusp of that kind of those kinds of questions, Vonnegut starts to talk to you. Well, yeah, no, I think I read, uh, I want to say I read maybe a review or an essay about Vonnegut by, I want to say it was Jay McInerney, and he said mm-hmm. that uh, like Vonnegut was great at asking or writing about the questions that like college freshmen ask themselves, you know, like, right. he's kind of a master at that. Right, well, he said, he, he realized that his appeal was to, to young people, and he said, um, I want to catch young people before they become generals and politicians. <laughs> I want to raise questions in their minds and doubts. So he, he tried to convey to them a kind of healthy skepticism. You know, he, he's not a nihilist, and he's really not even a black humorist. Uh, in the book, I use the term comic didactic. In other words, I think he teaches through using humor and paradox and parables. Yeah, that seems to make sense. I mean, I don't know. There, there are a lot of labels that are applied to Vonnegut that after, uh, you know, I'm sure after writing the book, but after reading it as well, you know, there, there are a lot of things that you perceive about him uh, via his public image and the way that he presented himself 
that aren't exactly uh, accurate. Right. Um, Vonnegut, the man, is not Vonnegut, the author, and, and that may seem hard to believe because the man wrote the books. But um, he had a very distinct creative and personal side. Uh, when he was at his typewriter alone in his room, he, he uh, was one person talking about things that mattered to him and ideas that mattered to him. You know, Vonnegut's unusual as an author in that his books aren't powered by characters or particularly by plots. They're powered by ideas. So these books are, in essence, sort of almost sort of essayistic. You know, they're long disquisitions on our relationship to God or truth or, you know, love. Um, but then there was Vonnegut the father, Vonnegut the husband, Vonnegut the neighbor. And he was an irascible guy, uh, difficult to get along with at times, distant as a father. And his kids once described him as haunted. And I came to appreciate that because as I got to know him, there always seemed to be something going on behind his eyes. He seemed to be thinking about something else. And I think it had to do with his terrible experiences in World War II and also his disappointment in whether he, whether he thought he was lovable, because I think Kurt doubted whether he was a valuable person, and writing for him was a vindication. Wow. You know, and I think his mother's suicide as well. I mean, I, 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 you know, reading about him, I felt like, you know, uh, World War II and his mother's suicide, which it's sort of unbelievable to me, but they, you know, those two things happen within what, you know, a year or two of each other. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, his, 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 yeah, his mother kills herself on Mother's Day. Under, while he's home on leave. While he's home on leave. And then, what, within months he's off in, at the Battle of the Bulge, and then he's a right. prisoner of war. <laughs> right. Mother kills himself, herself in May of 44. He goes to Europe in September, captured at the Bulge in December. And uh, in February of 1945, he's uh, underneath a pattern bombardment by the 8th Air Force and the RAF, he had to think that whatever gods there are, are we're trying to erase him from the face of the earth. I mean, yeah, like who wouldn't be haunted? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's an, it's an unbelievable amount of trauma to have to endure. Like even one of those things alone would be a lifetime's worth of, of trauma. But to have both of those uh, right up against one another, it's it's kind of unfathomable. I mean, it's, right. It, well, it, it wasn't the the bare fact of his mother's suicide that affected him so deeply. It was also the timing of it. He was home on leave. It was Mother's Day. He had made an effort to be there. They all knew he was shipping out for Europe, and she killed herself and doesn't leave a note. And you know, it, it was macabre and eloquent at the same time. And for the rest of his life, he tried to figure out this riddle to which there was no answer because it, there was a silence on the other side. Why did she kill herself on Mother's Day when he was in the house about to leave? Um, so it, it added to his sadness. And then, of course, when he was in Dresden retrieving bodies from mine, from uh, basements, doing body mining after the pattern bombing, um, he saw, you know, he saw sort of almost the apocalypse in a sense. I mean, this was how could it get any worse? Women and children you know, floating in the water in basements, and he had to bring them up into the light, take them to the plaza where they were thrown on a pile and burned. Jesus. Uh, it really was, you know, the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, if that's not the apocalypse, I mean, I don't know, you know, or, or seeing what, what it would be like, I don't know what is. Right. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, 
a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, and, you know, I think maybe like a, to give a little context, because, like, you know, I, I was aware that he, you know, obviously had a troubled uh, mother. I was aware of her uh-huh. suicide prior to, your, uh, to reading your book, but I was not aware of, like, the, the grimness of his childhood and, like, the... Uh-huh the emotional uh, distance that he felt as a kid. I mean, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. Well, uh, Kurt had an older brother, Bernard Vonnegut, who became a famous atmospheric scientist. In fact, it was Bernard who uh, co-invented cloud seeding. And all the attention was focused on Bernard because he was brilliant. I mean, he was taking advanced classes in school, and he was you know, bicycling over to the local college and things like that so he could get enough math. Uh, went to MIT, and poor old Kurt is bumbling around uh, at home, you know, seven to nine years younger, I can't remember which, but his interest is books, his interest is jokes, he likes to listen to the radio, you know, he's very verbal. So they really were bookends as brothers. One was highly cerebral and could find no value in art, thought that anything artistic was merely decorative. If it didn't have a solid, quantifiable answer, it was worthless. And here's Kurt, all personality, all charisma, all fun. Um, so he felt that his parents shunted him aside and were fascinated with his elder brother. And it seemed to be proven so, you know, when Kurt was about to go to college and he wanted to major in English. But Bernard intervened and persuaded his parents that English was for the birds. I mean, get something practical. He should go into science and technology. So he went off to Cornell, he majored in something that he was not interested in, and as a result, he flunked out and well, ended up at the Battle of the Bolt. Well, no, and he also, I mean, didn't he want, I mean, he had uh, an opportunity to go to work for the Indianapolis Star, but rather than even right. go to college. So, I mean, it's like, how, how might history have been different? How might, our, you know, literary history exactly. have been different? Right. He thought he, he thought he was doing things that would make everyone proud. He, you know, walked in the editorial offices of the Indianapolis Star, explained that he was editor of his school newspaper and loved to write. And the editor said, well, how about a job, kid? And so he comes home sent to tell everybody, I'm going to be a newspaper man. And the response is, no, you're not. You're going to Cornell. You're going to Cornell and you're going to major in chemistry. And he was a terrible student there. I mean, he was he was good on the newspaper, it seemed like. He, you know, it wasn't... 
Yes, he was very good on the newspaper. And you know what? Kurt had the horsepower to handle science. He got an A-plus in physics in high school, and it was a kind of a magnet school that he went to. Um, and, you know, later on when he went into the Army and he took an officer training exam and it turned out that he got high marks, they put him into artillery, uh, the artillery and also some kind of engineering program. So, look, Kurt could have done it, but it wasn't where his heart was. He, you know, his instinct didn't lead him in that direction. And you're not going to be joyful about anything that people are making you do that you don't want to do. Right. Right. You know. So um, what about his father? You know, his father through all of this, uh, you know, his mother was, uh, you know, we, we should say that they were very wealthy, you know, wealthy people, at least prior to the yeah. Depression. I mean, I, I hadn't yeah. realized quite how wealthy they were, but she was the, she was an heiress, his mother was. Yeah, she was. And so they, yeah. were, they were living with servants and chefs and the whole thing. Exactly. They they lived in an arts and craft home uh, in 1922, which at that time was, you know, very she-she and uh, on the cusp of everything uh, progressive in, it, in architecture. And um, his father was getting big commissions, doing not really very exciting work, but, you know, it, it paid the bills. It paid for the servants, and it paid for the laundress, and it paid for the yard man. Um, he was designing buildings for corporations. And his mother was the heiress of one of the largest breweries in the Midwest, the Indianapolis Brewery Company. And she came into a great deal of money. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut's mother, mother came out for the 1908 London season. She was abroad looking for a European husband. In fact, she became engaged and it didn't work out. But part of the reason, in Kurt's words, that she became cracked was because uh, the Depression took away all of their money. She couldn't believe how far she had fallen. And uh, she was, you know, permanently um, depressed, angry, and um, felt like a victim. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's like, it's it's sort of crazy how much of her identity seemed to have been invested in being wealthy. You know, and I guess it's not that uncommon, you know, especially to go right. for, in, in, in a cataclysmic economic environment like that, where people who were once wealthy suddenly you know, go in the other direction in dramatic fashion, you know, people's entire uh, sense of themselves is rocked. You know, it seems like that's what happened to her. Definitely. Yeah. Or she, or Bonica said that his mother was addicted to wealth and empty graces. And when they had to cancel their membership in the country club to her, that was being cast out of Eden. Wow. And so then, and that was when, when he was in, that was prior to his high school because his, his, uh, elder siblings, his brother and his sister went to like private school and then he went to Shortridge. Right. They went to private schools and he was taken out of a private school, sort of a Montessori type school in about fourth grade. And he regarded that as the first indication that they didn't think too much of him because somehow they managed to get the money to continue educating his uh, elder sister and elder brother privately but he went to a public school. He said, you know, looking back, it was actually it was really kind of fine with him because all the neighborhood kids went to the local public school, and he was finally with his friends. But you know, as an adult, he he thought that the that what that indicated was that they didn't think that he was worth the expense. And do you think that's true? I mean, do you think that? I mean, did you find anything definitive about that? It does seem sort of fishy that his his elder siblings would continue. And that he would be pulled, but maybe they thought, you know, the, the kids were old. You know, the older kids had gone along so far in these schools they didn't want to pull them out. Whereas he was young enough to, yeah, to switch. That, that, that would be my logic as a parent. You know, the, a fourth grader changing schools is not a big deal. But if you're in the middle of high school and you get taken out of a private high school and then sent somewhere else, 
puzzle also, you know, kid, uh, Vonnegut was, as a kid, was up to a lot of hijinks. He was a lot of fun. I mean, all the people I interviewed who knew him as a young man said that he was mischievous and humorous and uh, very droll. Maybe his parents thought they sensed a, a lack of seriousness on his part, and he wouldn't care. But you see, when he became convinced of the premise of uh, that my parents really didn't love me or appreciate me, all, he put all this evidence in service of that. You know, when he would talk to me, he would show further proof of the fact that nobody taught him anything, and, and his father didn't even teach him how to throw a ball. Uh, so anyway, it was all, to him, part of the overarching a complaint that he had that he was ignored at home. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, you know, so let's let's fast forward then a little bit. He goes to, uh, you know, his mother uh, takes her own life. He winds up in World War II. Uh, how long, like to give a, a sense of the timeline, like he, he lands uh, on the shores at, what was it, Le Havre? Yeah, in France, right? In France. And then how long between that moment and when he was taken prisoner by the Germans? Okay. He he had been in training for the previous year. He was in a uh, specialized program where he attended a couple of universities, Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon and University of Tennessee. But Eisenhower canceled the program because he wanted a big final push. He wanted a lot of boots on the ground. So he canceled all these programs that were going to take a long time and instead um, put, pulled guys out of class and, you know, put a rifle in their hands and sent them back to boot camp. And so Kurt went from being uh, somebody involved with artillery and engineering to being a scout, being an infantryman. So when he landed in France in uh, September 1944, he was part of a platoon, and uh, their job was to go out and, and you know, reconnoiter. Um, when he got to the uh, so, you know, deep into France um, and moved up to the line that was being um, changed over from uh, the veterans to the new guys, and he was one of the new guys, the Germans waited a few days and then attacked because they realized that they were facing green troops and it was now or never. It was probably a gambit on the part of, of Eisenhower. He wanted to draw the Germans out, you know, hit us with your best shot. And they did. They gathered all their remaining tanks and all the remaining artillery, and the course of about four days tried to annihilate the Allies, with the result that uh, two regiments, Kurtz and one other, were completely surrounded, cut off, and marched deep into Germany, where they were put on boxcars and taken to Stalag. And, and from there, Kurt was taken to Dresden. Wow. So now, how, how far of a march are we talking? He, he marched in the snow for about three days. 
Um, and all they had on them were what were called D bars, which are like these really heavy duty chocolate bars that are loaded with protein. Um, so they had a couple of candy bars. Um, once they got on the box cars, there were no fo- there was no food. And as they traveled deep into Germany, which took two three days, um, there, uh, there was an accident. As incredible as it sounds, they were parked in a railroad yard, and some British mosquitoes came overhead and mistook the train for a German troop train, not a train full of prisoners, and they bombed it. Oh, God. They they, they blew some of the boxcars to pieces, killed some of the men. The Germans put the train back together, repaired the rails, and he went on deeper into Germany. By the time he arrived at the Stalag, he had been on the move for about six days, living on, you know, whatever he could cage off the other guys. And the final cruelty, I guess, was when they got off the trains at the Stalag, instead of being marched inside, they were told to lay down in the snow. It was too late to enter the camp. And during the night, a number of the men died from frostbite. All right, there we have it. That is today's flashback. An outtake from episode 24, my conversation with Charles Shields, author of the biography And So It Goes, Kurt Vonnegut, A Life. It is available now in trade paperback from St. Martin's Press. Episode 24 first aired on December 7th, 2011. You can listen to the full episode wherever you get your podcasts. All episodes of The Other People Show are available to listeners. So if you would like to hear the full conversation, go find episode 24. It's there waiting for you. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe on YouTube, follow the show on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. Support the Other People podcast. Join the Patreon community at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Help keep this program rolling into the future. Don't forget to sign up for my free email newsletter. You can do that at otherppl.com or bradlisty.com. And if you would like to do me a quick favor, please rate this podcast wherever you listen. Give it a rating, write a review if that's an option. It helps the show in the rankings. It helps it find new listeners. If you would like to get other people gear, a t-shirt, a sweatshirt, and what have you, just go to uh, otherppl.com. Look for the t-shirt. Scroll down. You'll see it. They're good t-shirts. Finally, a quick plug for my latest novel. It's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything, available now in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook, so if you would like to read my latest book, again, it is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. All right, so coming up on Sunday, I am going to be in conversation with Rebecca Bergman author of the novel The Museum of Human History, available from Tin House. It is the official August book club pick. Very excited to have that one in the offing. So 